Welcome to the Inspired Action Podcast. This is where we have motivational, inspiring conversations and interviews that we hope you'll enjoy listening to. If you're interested in creating more balance in your life, understanding your five element energetic nature, finding the path of greatest ease, or releasing the baggage of this lifetime and discovering ancient alchemy that can help you fly in your life, Join us and other inspired actioneers on this alchemical transformational journey. Welcome back to the Inspired Action Podcast. This is Jay, and I'm here with my co-host, Lita Herman. We're so thrilled to have a very special guest on the podcast today who is just so knowledgeable about this topic of happiness. Yes, today's podcast is an interview with Mo Goddett, who is the author of the best-selling book, Solve for Happy, Engineering Your Path to Joy. Mo is the former chief business officer of Google's research and development program, Google X, where they created things like Google's self-driving car. Yeah, they do a lot of AI and all kinds of big moonshot projects, which we're going to talk about in the interview. And, you know, we just love talking with Mo. We just found we have so many ideas and theories and just so many things in common. He was very inspiring to us in so many ways. And in this interview, we're going to be talking about his new venture too, which also is completely inspiring. It's called onebillionhappy.org. We're going to get more into that into the podcast. But it's just, you know, there's people that move through the world with just a positive energy Mm. and a way about them that just makes you want to help them. Yes, and I'm mean, always one of these one of these people that just touched us. And I, he touches millions of people. Yes, he's gonna actually go for a billion. Yes, and just talking to him, we were so inspired. I felt so connected to him. He's like my new best friend. So let's get on with the show. My new bestie with Mo. My new bestie. So let's get on with the show, shall yes. we? Yes. All right. So here we go. Here's our conversation with Mo on Solve for Happy. I just want to say oh. thank you so much for joining us, Mo. We're just thrilled to have you. And I was going to say that, I don't know if you know this, but I worked in the corporate world for the AT&T Lucent of Baya uh, branches, uh-huh. and I was a system engineer. So oh okay. I, I love your, your, Mo wrote this wonderful book called Solve for Happy that approaches happiness from the engineering perspective. And he was the chief business officer of Google X, which has to be the coolest job on the yeah. planet. We kind of decided that last night. Like, yeah, there's not much better than that. No, it, do, it does get better than that. But first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to uh, be talking to like-minded uh, people. And I didn't know that you are also an engineer. That would be yeah. really interesting. Uh, no, my, my current job is even more interesting, but we're going to talk about that later. I think. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is true. You know, what you're doing is pretty awesome. We're, we're very inspired by that. But I was thinking about the uh, the work that you did do at Google X because it was way more interesting than the work I was doing at Lucent Avaya. But uh, I, I was just, I love the idea that you were um, doing a moonshot kind of exercise on a daily basis. And I, I don't know if people really understand that or know that. And I thought maybe you could just briefly explain yeah, I mean, where you were at the time, you know, when you started this project. So Google X was really uh, almost the ultimate uh, manifestation of Google's values, and and Google itself taught me so much. When I when I joined, I joined uh, from Microsoft, which again is an incredible, incredible company. Uh, but I found that Google was more of a movement than a company. They wanted to do the right things. They they wanted to change the world. And Larry and Sergey, which I had the joy of working with uh, closely for many years, are uh, just wonderful human beings. They, they believe that our world needs help. And so our core value system, uh, Larry used to call it the toothbrush test, which was simply uh, that you uh, need to earn the right to make money by solving a big problem in a way that people find so useful that they use it twice a day okay ah. and and it's really really very simple when you think about search and what search did to our humanity mm. you would immediately realize that google has earned all of the revenues that came to them from yeah. search because mm. search still today is definitely the biggest non-profit organization on the planet yeah. Google Ads makes a lot of money, sure. but, not, but not everyone necessarily gets an ad, and especially in emerging markets. 
And uh, even when you get an ad, you're not really paying for it. If people w had to pay Google to, to get the searches, uh, many people wouldn't have had the same access to information that they have today. Right. And, and that concept became uh, the main definition of how we worked at X. And at X, we said to ourselves, we're only going to work on problems that affect the lives of billions of people. Right. And you'll be blown away how many problems there are in our world today that affects the lives of billions of people. Our world is full of problems. It, mm. It's crazy when you think about it. Yeah. And, and so by, by looking at those problems and trying to solve them in ways that have not been thought of before, that's really the idea of a moonshot. That's JFK mm. saying we're going to go to the moon before they even had the technology to make that happen, right? Wow. When, when, you, when you assign yourself that challenge, suddenly ingenuity comes in and innovation comes in and brilliance comes in and you find different ways to solve a problem that previously seemed to be impossible to solve. And it seems like what you did was you took something that you were using at work and now you applied it to your own life. Absolutely. And maybe you could tell people that little yeah. bit of story. Yeah, if, 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 uh, if a moonshot is to, is to develop a self-driving car to save the lives of, uh, of, uh, of you know, more than a million people die in car accidents every year, uh, then my personal moonshot, which is uh, to make a billion people happy, in all honesty is probably, at least in, in the way I look at it now, is probably more uh, contribution to humanity if it works than a self-driving car. And yes. And, and I, th I think the reality of humanity is that we, um, we needed a lot of progress and development in terms of technology for a long time. And I think in, you know, we've reached a place where I think humanity has never had it better. You know, um, healthcare is so good. You know, we have all of those incredible technologies at our fingertips. Yet, um, I, don't, I think hum humanity is incredibly unhappy. And in our unhappiness, we're destroying our planet. Mm -hmm. And it is truly so shocking and eye-opening when you think about it, that we have everything, but we can't find what we want most, mm -hmm. which is happiness. I mean, my, my personal story, un unfortunately, starts with a, a bit of a sad uh, you know, place where I, I lost my wonderful son, Ali, who was 21 and a half at the time. He was uh, in, truly in his prime, like truly the pride of a parent. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, due to a simple um, human error, if you want, um, a, a mistake in a very simple surgical operation, Ali left mm -hmm. uh, our world. And what really, really came over me, you know how sometimes they say a life for a life? I actually had one thought in my head, which is Ali's life is not worth one life. In my heart, I said Ali's life is worth millions of lives. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to take millions of lives. I wanted right. to give millions of lives because yeah. that's how my son was. My son was such a wonderful, giving, loving, wise human being who wanted to make the world better. And so all I did, which... I think sounds crazy for me looking back at it now. I was, I was the chief business officer of Google X at the time, was I took time to write what my son taught me uh, mm -hmm. about happiness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I gave myself a simple mission that I thought would keep me occupied for the rest of my life, which was to get to 10 million people with that message of happiness. Uh, the, the, the 10 million people got the message within eight weeks. Wow. And, which was, it wasn't my work. Don't think of, you know, that I've done something. I mean, I think the universe wants this to happen. Okay. Absolutely. I think life is saying yeah. to us that this yeah. is time. It's time. Yeah. Because, because, you know, I have no idea what happened, but then my videos started to go super viral on the internet, hundreds wow. of millions of views. And, and, and that was the time when I realized that the moonshot, the moonshot is to get us back on track is to get humanity to recognize what actually matters. Mm -hmm. What matters is not to have another iPhone. You know, the, the next iPhone is not going to make you happier than the current iPhone, which hasn't made you happier than the previous iPhone. Okay? The, the reality is what we're looking for are 
three simple values. One is happiness, the other is compassion, and the third is a balance of us being who we really are, Mm -hmm. not what the world is trying to tell us to be. And if we can get those three in place, we're done you know, we've achieved. I think that's, that's a lot of the work that we do. And with Lita, we talk about people re changing their stories, changing the yeah. stories from the past. And then to be more, to find that authentic self, to find out who they truly are. And, and also it's telling them just so much like with the death of a loved one, like you've experienced the, the story could be really miserable and not serving you. And you turned it into something beautiful and serving not just you, but the rest of us so the the story the story is never what we think it is the story is what we make of it every story in your life i i dare people because one one uh, chapter in my book discusses the idea of good and bad and our perception of what is good and what is bad and i i dare people i tell them hey imagine if i invented a technology that can erase any event you want from the past okay Mm -hmm. Just notice that if it erases the event, it will erase everything that happened as a result of that event. How many would you actually take out of your life? And most people will change nothing. Nothing. Amazing. Amazingly, I have clients who've had severe trauma, like really horrific. And they say to me, many, many people say this, they would not take it back. They wouldn't. wouldn't. And I I mean, of course, I, I would be lying to you if I tell you, I don't, I wouldn't take Ali's death back. I, yeah. I miss him every single day of my life. Huh? Right. It, it is the hardest thing ever. I, I don't know how to describe it. I, I really, you know, because people ask me and I speak publicly very often, I look for words. And the only thing I can liken it to is I feel that there is a missing part of my heart. It literally mm-hmm. feels like you ripped physically part of my heart on the right hand side at the bottom. And I know exactly where that point is and you know, it hurts. So would I take it back every, every day I say to myself, I wish, but look at the numbers of people hmm, that had a life as a result. And can I even take it back now? I can't. I, I, you know, it's, it, it's not even, if, if, you, if I had asked Ali, and if you, know, if you knew Ali for one minute, you would know that it's true. If I had asked him, Ali, would you give your life for millions of people to find happiness? He would say, yeah, take me right now. I'll go right now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. wow. And he, you know, I, when I'd work with, the, there's a grieving uh, approach in Taoism that has a treatment. And the result of the treatment is to make the connection with the person who's gone. That's even better than the connection that you had with him present so that the connection's not broken. And that's sort of the approach to it. But the one thing that I've noticed, and I, I don't know if you think his story's unique, but it's, I've heard this many times, especially younger people talk about their death days before their death. Oh my God. Is that true? Yes, I've had it in my treatment room many times, and it's always astonishing. It is like how, yeah, and I, so, I spoke about nothing else for the two, for the two weeks before his death. The last two weeks, he spoke about nothing else. He spoke to every one of his friends, and you know, Ali was that very wise. He didn't speak much, and he would ask questions and listen. Yeah, and only only in the very very. Um, last conversation with one of his friends, he made his point. And she told me around four days later, uh, he said, okay, I think we will only know for certain when we get there. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what death is, but I'm optimistic. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he sort of sent us a message before he left that he's okay. He spoke to, um, to, to me, um, you know, in a way that was very, very unusual because he was supposed to change universities. Uh, he, w- he was changing majors and, and that would, uh, would make him uh, have to go to another city as a matter of fact. And so I, you know, I wanted to tell him, Ali, sit down, let's talk about it. And he's, his answer was, Papa, it's okay. I don't think I'm going to make it. And he didn't mean, so at the time I thought that he said, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I changed my mind. I don't want to go anymore. Right. But his exact words, and Ali's sort of native language was English. His exact words was, 
I don't think I'm going to make it. It's okay. Let's not discuss it. He knew. Yeah. Wow. You know, two weeks before he left, he he had a dream that he was everywhere and part of everyone. And he woke up and told his sister that dream, that he was going to be everywhere, that he was everywhere and part of everyone. And that he, you know, when he dreamt it that way, it felt so wonderful that he didn't want to go back to his body. And of course, my, my crazy businessman mind uh, took that as a quota. The reason why I sat down to write and gave myself the target of 10 million happy was basically, basically my, my brain, I, I only discovered that, by the way, two years ago, I only discovered that that was my reaction to take it as a target. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and who knows? I think now with so many millions of people, hopefully, you know, so many thousands listening to us now, getting part of Ali in them, uh, you know, through six degrees of separation, he might actually end up being part of everyone. Yeah, the consciousness for sure. And interestingly, the the grieving point is right. The 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 most important grieving point is right by your ears, and what it what it represents is hearing him as a almost like a memory or a spirit, but a a real connection through his voice. And, and that's for you, but I, I love that. It's like, we all get that through you. Like we all get a piece of him because you really have worked through your own grieving in a beautiful way, you know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, grieving parents or someone who loses a loved one would come to me and say, you know, how, how did you do that? How, you know, how could you work through this? And I actually don't know the answer. I, the only know, thing I know is that uh, four hours after Ali's death, so he died because of medical malpractice. And, you know, because of my role at Google, and I was very senior, I lived in Dubai for a long time. He came to visit before he went to the operation. So the Dubai authorities, you know, the prime minister and many of the ministers of the country heard that I lost my son. And so they called and they said, look, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Do you mind if we perform an autopsy on Ali's body? And his mother was sitting next to me and I said, Nibel, would you mind if they do that? And in, uh, you know, wise as she is, again, you know, probably Ali's wisdom came from her. You know, she said one sentence that changed my whole approach to grief. She basically said, would it bring him back? If we perform the autopsy, we would bring him back. And I literally just told the person on the other line, would you mind if I call you back? Because I needed to reflect on this. And and, and the truth was this. I could cry for the next 27 years. And he's not coming back. As much as we, you know, dislike death, it's just a fact. It happens. And and interestingly, so many things in our life, they don't come back, huh? You, you have a wonderful relationship with a girlfriend or a boyfriend as a, at a young age and, and then it breaks and they, you go separate ways and they're not coming back. You can cry about it for the rest of your life. You may have a, a, you know, an awful manager and they you know, treat you badly and you lose your job and that's it. The job is not coming back. You, you know, if you, if unhappiness doesn't change a thing. And so in, a, in, a, in an interesting moment, I basically... Talked, talked to my brain and I said, look, brain, you can make me suffer for the rest of my life. I love him. I miss him. I feel the pain. I cry still today every week at least once. Hmm? But, but, but if you lock me into that thought hmm, of I can't move from here because Ali is not here, it's not going to do anything for anyone. What can you give me that is a good thought, a good project we can work on together? And and that's the idea of everywhere and everyone. This is when it came to my mind. And I said, maybe if I share him with the world, that would be the right way. And, and, and that's not, nothing special about me. It might be something very special about him. But I think everyone can make that choice. Yes. Everyone yes. can take their pain and turn it into some kind of a positive energy for the world. You know, in, in Buddhism, they call it the bodhisattva, you know, uh, the, the, the person that can can take the pain of others and turn it into compassion to others yeah. if you want. Yeah. Yes, and we talk about bodhisattva idea a lot in alchemy because that whole die before you die idea is very much a part of the Taoist alchemy 
projects that you can do. And it's, it's really about, you know, getting to this point where you finish the, the Taoists believe you have a curriculum in this lifetime that you need mm-hmm. to fulfill. And then when you finish that curriculum, then what? So you can become a Bodhisattva if you so choose and yeah. kind of like, you know, what you're doing. Yeah. Dying before you die is my number one priority in life. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was part of the Taoist belief. I, yeah. I know it's a big part of the Sufi uh, practice. Yes, so so I think this, this podcast now is going to uh, switch because I'll stay quiet and you're going to tell me everything about <laughs> <that>. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm not going to miss that opportunity. I'm <laughs> well, you know, what, what you talk about in your book and i before i tell you about good and bad and how it all fits in with the bodhisattva concept but i just want to say you do have something special and i think you and i share it a little bit which is the engineering mind because your book took apart pieces of things and put them back together in a way that the rest of us can understand it it's brilliant in that 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 mind that an engineering mind we need we all need an engineer to you know break it down and and make it simple and understandable components and i think that's what you've done yeah i'm i'm really grateful that you say that it wasn't easy because of course as you go through the publishing industry they want to bring it back to mysticism yes and i and i had a very simple rule you know i said if an 8 year old cannot understand it it's not going into my book and my publishers and editors would go crazy because yeah. they they basically thought this would never sell yeah. so I, imagine trying to explain the theory of relativity which is the basis of my chapter about time yes yes to an 8 year old right <laughs> right and, and you know and and it 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 took us such a long time but i i'm so glad it worked yeah. because at the end of it I get so many people that say, yeah, you know, sometimes I know what you're telling me, but you're just telling it to me in a way that actually works for me. That's it. That's what we say about leaders. She takes this mass amounts of Taoism and alchemy and 13 Coast Points, huge amounts of knowledge, and she just breaks it down. And I think that's what we share is this kind of love of components. So don't don't change the topic. I'm trying to get back to you. Back to dying before you die. At least, you know, okay, I'll get back to that. All right. So there are stages of alchemy. And one of our questions that we're going to ask you later, but so I'm not changing the topic, is just how this works into solve for happy. But the idea is the first stages are all the trauma and baggage that we carry around and how to kind of slough it off. And I think of it as we have a balloon and then we have all these ballasts. And we need to let go of the ballast so we can actually yeah. get liftoff. And that's like the happiness liftoff. And yes. so the first part of alchemy is what are those things? How do I let them go? How do I get free? And they have this thing called the ghost points, which is you're haunted by those things. And now you need to free yourself from those things. And then the second uh, stage set of stages is really about what you're interested in because you Uh, are able to first let go of the confines of your own mind so that you Mm -hmm. can really open up your senses and be like a child. You know, that happiness of a child is so pure and they see things the way they really are, not like through those blinders of adulthood. (laughs) And so you return to that state. And the, the, the place you're probably most interested in is the next stage is now you become the wise old person and you stop needing to like talk incessantly (laughs) and you start to listen and the Mm. the culmination of that stage is there is no good or bad which you talk about so much in your book and you start to realize it's either all good or neither good nor bad and i think when when i piece together parts of your book the ego parts that you wrote about was about now I'm letting go of that identity. Now I'm letting go of that ego that says, I am this, I am this person because that's good and that's bad. Yeah. And that's me. I'm me. Right. And so suddenly you die before you die as you move into the next stage, because you really stop needing that ego identity and you really start to just manifest whatever the divine is flowing through you. Hmm. Um, in terms of like a surrender, 
that you also talk about. So in that surrender, then in stage six, I say it's the flying stage. And it literally is, you know, when the alchemists used to fly, they would fly like a tornado up. You've probably seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or those kinds of movies. And they, um, they are Wu Wei, the Wu Wei concept of Taoism. They're total spontaneity. And, Mm. and this feeling that every footstep you take is a footstep that was placed there before your foot lands. And so you're just walking the next step, walking the next step. And so that die before you die concept comes right in, in that transition as you get to that point where you can really be a non-doing person, a wu-wei person. Hmm. So one of the things I thought about was one of the ways that alchemy works is that the, each stage, while it seems linear, obviously we could talk about someone achieving, looking at the world without good or bad mm-hmm. at any moment. They don't have to do the other stuff. Yeah. But if you kind of go in this linear path, then they believe that you can get to this higher level of evolution or personal nirvana in Buddhism or, you know. So anyway, so that's, that's the idea of alchemy. It's fantastic, actually. Isn't it, isn't it funny that we just keep growing to become the babies that we were at the beginning? Yes. It's just so interesting yes. when you realize, you know, again, to a baby, there is really no good or bad until we start to condition them. Yes. To a baby, there is no ego and identity. There is no attachment to anything. You know, a toy you know, drops and it picks up another one exactly. until it starts to associate with that toy as my toy. You know, exactly. Don't take it away from me. It's, it's crazy, really. You know, I, it's, we, we sort of acquire the wrong quoting as, we, as we're growing old and you know, and there, there is a point where some of us actually continue the rest of their lives in that, you know, wrong setup, if you want. And some of us go like, ah, that part is not me, and, and this part is not me. And then you start shedding them yes. one yes. by one until you go back to the child you once were, which is interesting, yeah. circular. Huh? You played a song in one of your talks. I was looking at your talks. Before. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was- I always play... I always play Super Tramp, That's the logical thing. Yeah, yeah, I love that song. When I was young, it seemed that life was so wonderful. A miracle, how it was beautiful. Magic. It summarizes it your whole life, basically. Yes. When you were young, life seemed to be so wonderful. Yes. And then they took you away and taught you how to be sensible and logical and responsible and practical cynical. and you know, cynical. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, so so you they, they tell you cynical is a good skill. Yes. What do you end up doing? You end up being cynical of everything, yes. and there you go, unhappiness yeah. in its absolute pure format. Yeah. Like, look for what's wrong with life, and you'll find it. Yes, I really yeah. loved in your book in the beginning when you just said, you know, we have these are my words: inherent happiness. We have inherent happiness, and if we could just stop being unhappy, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So this, I, I think this is this is pure. This is the pure engineering part of it. Is I I basically say our default setting is happy. Yes. We're born happy. Yes. Like, yes. You know, it's like the, the the default setting of a mobile phone that you buy in the U.S. is English. You know, our default setting is a state of happiness. Which no. a lot of people go like, how come you know children cry all the time? No, children children cry when there is a reason to cry. Right. You know, a wet diaper is you know they they have a wet diaper they cry. Yeah. You you change the diaper, they go back to happiness, right? Right. right. And, and and in that sense, happiness simply is the absence of unhappiness, which yes. completely flips the whole equation. Totally. It's, it, there is no reason for you to be unhappy. Your default state is happy. Yes. So, so just find what's making you unhappy and shed it one by one, and you'll be fine. So we're just going to change some a lot of diapers on the adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One million diapers. diapers. <laughs> and, that, and that thing in the diaper, yeah, yeah, we have a lot of that in our life. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's we have good. a lot of diapers. <laughs> yeah. That one billion diaper changing. <laughs> I one, million diapers. <laughs> one million diapers. One million diapers. Say one more thing. I was just going to say, sure. you just said born happy. The yeah. name of our 
the name of our next book is called Born Perfect. And the idea is that, that we think we're not perfect. And mm -hmm. we are essentially, it's the same idea. We're essentially perfect. And then we just think we have this downhill slope all the way to death where we just get more and more decrepit and like, you know, useless and, and elderly. And, and then it's just, we phase out. And so the born perfect idea is the alchemical idea. Yeah. Believe it, believe it or not, born perfect and still perfect today. Yeah. And I think this is the absolute biggest reason for unhappiness on the planet. So I, I normally, when I speak publicly, I tell people that ego is the second biggest reason for unhappiness. Yeah. And, and a lot of people go like, oh, wow. And they talk about ego. And no one actually ever asks me, so what's Number the biggest one? one? <laughs> I want to know what's the biggest reason. <laughs> but, but the biggest one, in my view, is lack of self-love. And, and, I, and I truly think that the biggest tormentor of any one of us is us. Yes. We, we torment ourselves yeah. for the stupid, stupid, stupid belief that we're not perfect. Yeah. Now, I will tell you hands down, and I, I'm sorry to use maybe a bit of a rude example, but go to any, any porn site on the planet hmm, and you will realize there is someone for everyone. Yeah. There is someone that loves the tall ones and someone that loves the short ones. And, yeah. you know, go to a dating site and you'll realize that there is someone that wants this person. And, uh, you know, and the only person that's not convinced that you're not amazing, that you're amazing, is you. Yeah. And, and it's really weird when you think about it, because yeah. out of 7 billion people, the person that you are, just, you know, the law of large numbers, there must be like, 400 million people that adore that person exactly. that you are. That's okay? a great way to think of it. Now, 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 now you're worried about the 6.6 .6 billion others that don't like the person that you are. Who gives a damn? There are 400 million <laughs> for you to choose from. Yes, right? yes. And, and, and it's so weird for me because we keep trying to change. And what happens is as we change, we become liked by another 400 million, but still 6.6 .6 billion are, don't like that new one. Right? The age of the inside, yes. And, yes. and it's, you know, it's, it's the, the whole idea is to suddenly look at you and say, oh my God, I'm perfect. Yes. I am the best version of me. Yes. Okay? And that's so beautiful. And it's okay to be me. I don't need to pretend for anyone. Yeah. And once we, we change that, happiness sets in. Yeah. And when I'm working with people, and sometimes I'd say, you have to be kind to yourself. You have to love yourself. Yeah. You have to nourish yourself. And some of them are like, it's completely foreign. They're like, yeah. I don't know you, how. You know, you know what I did? You know what I did, which completely changed my life. So I'm, you know, I, I don't dislike me. Never did. I mean, I always tried really hard. Hmm? But I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't kind for me, to, to me, yeah. okay? Uh, meaning, you know, when, when One Billion Happy started, for example, I did 17 full circles around the globe, okay? Wow. Just trying to spread my message and meet people and speak in public and so on. And in my personal abilities, I think that's fine. You know, I always traveled for business, so this is a better cause. Hmm? But that's not kind to me. It's not kind to me. And, and I struggled with that for a while until I decided to do something very simple. I told me, every time I treat me from now on, I'm going to treat me like I treat my beloved daughter A. Okay. If I don't accept it for A, I shouldn't accept it for me. Beautiful. And completely fit, made things clear to me. Yeah. It's like, you know, if, if you are going to uh, give a piece of chocolate to A, give a piece of chocolate to yourself. If you want her to be healthy and fit and, you know, pay for her gym subscription, pay for your own gym subscription, go be healthy and fit. Yeah. Right. It's, it's very, very straightforward. Once you find a loved one, and tell yourself, I'm going to treat me like I treat that loved one, yeah. it falls oh, in play. I That's love really that nice. idea. That's really great. Jay and I do this thing uh, called the Nine Palaces, which I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a Chinese uh, approach to balance in life. Uh -huh. And so there are nine palaces, which is career, health, wealth, relationship, prosperity, you travel, know, wisdom, creativity, travel, creativity. And the idea that you just said would work really well because mostly people have one or two or three that are really out of balance. Like let's say it was health because you're not going to the gym. Mm -hmm. um, then that's going to affect all the other palaces and it begins to yeah. be this like web of a mess if you're really ignoring yeah. yourself. Yeah. I call it the domino effect. So you, usually it's health or wealth that will knock people down. 
And if, if you can't make a decision to leave that job that's driving you crazy, many times health will come in and make that decision for you. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And that exactly. For a relationship, yes. if you can't leave that relationship, if you completely just don't do these big things, that health yeah. will come in. Yeah. Yeah. But but you know what I what also I found really interesting is that sometimes those things conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, which is which is of course understood. Huh? Maybe uh, if I uh, if I choose to um, have uh, you know um, um, a break, then that may affect my career or whatever that is. Huh? And so I do I do something that I call the swap test. And the swap test is my my simplest way of prioritizing things in my life. So, you know, if, if it's between health and wealth, I give myself two scenarios and I say, okay, so would you take a life where you are healthy but not wealthy or a life where you're wealthy but not healthy? Mm -hmm. And once you know that, you start to understand that your health comes before your wealth. That's great. Okay? And, That's and, awesome. And, 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 once I, and so I basically go down. If I have nine of them, I start to ask myself, if I were only allowed eight, which eight would I choose? And then if I were only allowed seven, which seven would I choose? And I, I do it downwards until I find what my priorities are from one to nine. But the, but the interesting thing is here is this, as, as a very uh, you know, organized engineer, if you want, I would, not, I, would not, I would not do number two if it jeopardizes number one. Yeah. And I wouldn't do number three if it jeopardizes number two. So okay. the only condition for anything to be done is that it it covers the top all the way down to where it is yeah okay awesome. so if if, get, if getting wealthy may jeopardize my health and health is higher than wealth i wouldn't get to decisions yep. if a decision is you know is travel to australia and come back in a day and it's going to make you wealthy but it's not going to make you healthy yeah. i will with my priorities in the swap test. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah. And the nine palaces that we work on, number five is home palace. And that if you had to bypass all of them, that would be the one. If you want to talk about that a little bit, Lita, about the home palace. That's well, the most important. It's interesting because you'd think health is most important. And I do think it is the one that affects all the others the most. But mm -hmm. the idea is that it do you ever hear of the magic square? It's like it, it's three rows and they all add up to 15, no matter which way you go, diagonal, yeah, yeah. you know, across. Mm -hmm. And the center one is number five. And so mm -hmm. they put the palaces there and they put home in the middle because they, it's kind of like when you're playing the old board games where you try to get back to home. Mm -hmm. we, keep, we keep joking in the podcast because we're so ancient that we. I, I, will, I will reference Trivial Pursuit and kids will go, what? <laughs> or they know that game. I'm like, oh my God, like I have to get a new pie wedge theory. They don't know that game anymore. <laughs> and then I say Parcheesi and we decide only our grandparents know what that is. But anyway. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I'd suggest you spend a little bit of time with me on video games. Okay. <laughs> so the idea is you have to fill in all the pie wedges and then you get to go home. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, anyway, the idea yeah. is this home palace is really like a spiritual palace. It's mm. really the place where we have a home, a physical home, but also a spiritual home. Interesting. And the idea is if you get that in right order, the others will behave yes. and will sort of sort themselves out. So that's just an interesting I, a thought to think about. Yeah. You know, in terms of uh, in, interesting. Uh, yeah. Define home because I, um, yeah. I, did, I, did, I did a very interesting experiment uh, since One Billion Happy, which is I downsized my life so drastically over the last seven or eight years. Oh, and wonderful. I, th I think a lot of people know from my book that there was a point in time where I was uh, rich and I abused it, okay? Yeah. I basically did everything that the rich uh, do, trying to fill a, a hole in my soul, basically. Bought cars and went on expensive vacations and, you know. Now my entire life is two suitcases, actually one and a half, you know. A suitcase <laughs> on. And yeah, and, and the beautiful thing, I mean, I, I sort of dislike everything about airlines other than the, the, the rule of uh, 23 kilograms or 50 pounds uh, for the check-in yes. luggage, <laughs> which was so interesting because basically now I have to make choices. If I, you know, if I, I, ha I love my Inception t-shirts that I'm wearing right now. Right. And had it for three and a half years. Let me and see. I, I didn't see it. Ah, there, oh, there you go. Okay, the top. So, 
you know, it's, we'll, we'll it talk about this is your reality. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk yeah. about home, but you know, when we first watched the movie Inception, I had to rename it Interruption because Lita <laughs> kept saying, "What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what are they doing? What's going on?" We had to watch it two times, maybe three times, because it's the first time complete interruption. <laughs> I I watched it more than twelve times. Yeah. Oh, if you if you really really so so one trick for 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 our audiences is you have to think of the dream world of Inception yes. as our actual reality. Yes. Our actual reality yes. is layers over layers over layers of illusion. Yeah. Okay, and if you see the movie that way, it completely flips your view of. We truly are living in a in a dream within a dream within a dream, and unfortunately, it's not a happy dream. Yeah. And and so you know, sometimes so I I love that movie. I I publicly say it's my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Uh, because also because of the power it gives you to it shows the power that one thought can have on you. Can so one thought that you obsess yes. of over uh, can change your life forever. Yeah. You know? But lead on, that was just I wanted to. We love that movie. Did you? What do you think about the Matrix? The first Matrix. The Matrix is the Bible of every geek. Like we, we live on the Matrix, oh, right? It's very so, Taoist. Yeah. It's an extremely Taoist movie. Very Taoist, yes. actually. Yeah, yes. yeah. Now, now that I grew older and studied, yes. so so a monumental, monumental moment in my life. Yes. Okay, it's like it made my life was when the child was saying there is no spoon. Yes, yes. Too. this is oh, it. Oh God. This yeah. is yeah. it, and my entire book is about that. It's about yeah. the illusion. Huh? The illusion. There is no spoon. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. it's so amazing. Yeah. My favorite, one of my favorite movies. Yeah. So in in Taoism, we believe this is all an illusion as well. And they even have a poem that's very famous. It's called the Thirteen Appearances. Mm -hmm. The number thirteen represents disillusionment. The moment uh -huh. that you realize it's an illusion is disillusionment. Or uh -huh. you wake up, right? You get awareness. Up, yeah. yeah. And the 13 appearances is how we kind of get into the dream and, and navigate the dream. So it's like mm. you get a download from heaven, some idea, then it, it goes through a purpose and intent and you reflection and you think about, and then eventually you get to, well, how am I going to do that dream? And yeah. the fact that all beings are at your disposal, very key, that other people are going to help you with your dream, which we, we don't think is true in this society. We think we got to fight for every little thing. Anyway, so that's the 13 appearances. I thought you'd like that because it, it's all about the illusion. You know why we fight for every little thing? Why? Because of my currently now, now this is my third uh, part of one billion happy as i said it's happiness compassion and completeness yes i i think the the biggest challenge our world faces today is that we deprioritize the feminine and and oh. so fighting for every little thing is such a masculine mm -hmm. uh you know separation of me as an individual versus the rest of being as other individuals yes. is such a masculine thing yeah. it's yeah. all in the left brain yeah. hmm? oh. and we've we've completely forgotten including, I mean, I say that with, of course, with a ton of respect, including most of us who have the biological bias to be more feminine, yeah. we've prioritized the masculine. Yes. We've prioritized the idea of, I need to be organized, I need to be a, you know, a, a linear thinker, I need to be uh, um, analytical, I need to be strong, I need to be, all of these are masculine properties. I okay. totally did but, that in the corporate world. That was my of life. Course, <laughs> of course. It's, you know, it, interestingly, I don't want to call them masculine properties. I want to call them masculine qualities. That's they're nice they're good too. things. If you do them in moderation, Absolutely. they're good for you. The problem is when you overdo them, yes. hmm, they work against you. And when you underdo the feminine qualities, because they're also qualities. Huh? Yes. So intuition is a quality. Empathy is a quality. The ability to feel is a quality yes. hmm? and all of these are feminine qualities and we've deprioritized them. Right. and so our response to life is so hyper masculine men or women right. hmm? and again one of my personal projects I, I think what's really interesting on my spiritual journey is i do it like an engineer i'm very very organized i have project plans i know you know i work on tar targets and achievements and progress and then reviews and i sit i sit with people and i see do you, do you think 
you know, do you think I'm matching my target? Should I go faster? Should I? Great. And so one of my personal targets for the last five years or so has been to empower my, my feminine side a lot more. Yeah. And I know it sounds weird for listeners with my kind of voice to think of my feminine side. Believe it or not, I'm actually more feminine than masculine. I mean, in my in my body part, in my you know my body parts, in my sexual orientation, I'm masculine. But you know, none of us is actually this or that. Everyone has a left brain and a right brain. Yeah, Yeah, and 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 with neuroplasticity, you can actually train both brains to be balanced. And it is so shockingly eye-opening. Mm. What a what a what a what a you know a, a capable left brain can do when you enable your right brain sure. to actually see to see, to actually feel to actually see the truth and then tell the left brain to do things and and you know that balance is I think one of the biggest things that are missing in our world today. Well, and I do think that's maybe why the way you sent your message is appealing to so many people. Because yeah. it's not a masculine do this. It's You've kind of tapped into this way of saying that people are open to it. Like really a lot of people are open to it. I, I wish I could do more. Actually, one of my next projects, I, I've just finished my second book, which is really, an, I, I, I'm so proud of, of what I did in it, which is basically a, a comparison between uh, our brains and the computers we've created. Oh, wow. I'm basically sort of debugging the software of our brains and how our brains, uh, uh, you know, uh, tell us they, 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 they do the wrong things. And one of the chapters is about the balance between the masculine and the feminine. But my next book, one of the, of the next projects I've started to work on is a book I call Her, which sometimes, you know, uh, people will tell me, ah, women are not going to read a book from a man. And I'm like, but that's not for women. Yeah. This yeah. is her. Her is not for women. Her is in every one of us. Yeah. Yeah. Her is for me and for you and for everyone to empower that feminine energy that we've lost in the modern world, Absolutely. at least undermined in the modern world. Bring it back so that we can fix global warming. Because without it, yes. uh, we, we we're separating. We we prefer our plastic bottle to the survival of the planet. Yeah. And, and, and it's just crazy when you think about it. We have to bring it back. Yeah. You know, when you talked earlier about, uh, you and Jay talked about loving yourself and being kind to yourself, it made me think of one of the treatments we do for people who are really uh, doing self-hatred. And the, the idea is that uh, the treatment is doing points that connect you back to source, the wholeness Then also doing points at the same time that represent how separate we can feel and how disconnected we can feel. And I never thought about it as the feminine and the masculine. But when you talk about it, I'm realizing that even in the women, their disconnectedness is like not connecting to the feminine. And, and so anyway, the treatment brings those two back together, brings the separateness back to the wholeness and the wholeness to the separateness. And now I'm, I never thought of it in gender, but it's a unification. So, so, so feminine masculine is not gender. Huh? Right. Feminine and are qualities. Qualities. And, yes. And, human and qualities. They're human yeah, qualities. Nice. And, you know, just because of selection bias, if you want, if you have certain biology, mm-hmm. you are sort of pre-biased to have more feminine than masculine or the other way around. But that does not necessarily hold true at all. I mean, some of the most wonderful straight men I have ever met were very feminine. Some of the, you know, some men are gay and feminine. Some men are very masculine. Some women are very, very masculine. And, And doesn't, you know, they could be gorgeously looking like, you know, like the gender that we define as woman but in their behaviors and their comfortable behaviors, they're linear, they're mathematical, they use words, they do, do you, you know, the, 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 the feminine will use colors, will use creativity, will use emotions, will see the world very differently. Right. As a matter of fact, one of my personal experiments when I was trying to learn to ignite my, my, uh, my feminine side was the perception of time. Mm. It's actually yeah. very, very different on the feminine side and the masculine side. The, the best I've, I, I, the, you know, the, I think the turning point for me was when I watched uh, Jill Balti Taylor, if you've uh, seen that TED talk. No, so no. She, it's an incredible, you, you can't miss it. So she, watch it. 
he was a neuroscientist uh, that got uh, that had a stroke. Oh, okay. I think and, I and remember this, hearing about that. Yeah, and the stroke disabled her left brain. Mm. So she could see the world with a right brain only. Wow. Wow. Oh my God, breathtaking. Breathtaking. So truly, I mean, in her own words, she would say things like, I could not distinguish between the end of my palm and the wall that, was, uh, that my palm was resting on because wow. the atoms of the universe all became one. Yeah. We became, everything was one. There is no and spoon. There is no spoon. <laughs> no spoon. And, and as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that I missed that because at the very core of physics, all of the atoms of my hand and the wall are one. Okay? And, 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 and it's the illusion of, the, of separation is a hyper left brain illusion. It's generated by the left brain because of a need for survival that needs to distinguish between me and the threat, mm-hmm. right? But another way of survival that we all forgot about is that no one survives alone. That, that if we actually seize, seize the opportunity of being with others and become, become one, yeah. that's how the tribe survived. Absolutely. Even if you're the strongest masculine uh, separator on one side, unless you believe on the feminine side of you, that you're part of, of the tribe, that you're one with the rest of being, you won't survive. That's where we're going to end today our conversation with Mo Goddard, author of Solve for Happy. We're going to continue this awesome conversation next week. So join us for Pod 52 next week. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Inspired Action Podcast, and you've reached the end. Woohoo! Woohoo! Why not celebrate a little bit and click that subscribe button right there. We love having you with us on this journey and we want it to continue. You can also rate and review this podcast. And if you have already, thank you so much. We read all reviews and your reviews help other people find this podcast as well. You can also be a part of this podcast yourself by submitting a voice recording message and emailing it to us at Lita at InspiredActionPodcast.com or Jay at InspiredActionPodcast.com. And if you want, you can join our Facebook group or follow us on Instagram. Join us next week for another Inspired Action Conversation. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening and remember to hug the dog.